Dear Jesus, we thank You that great is Thy faithfulness. We thank You, Lord, that You hear the prayers of Your people. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are brave enough to say, God, I need You, Jesus, right now. There's no other name by which I must be saved. And there's no other name by which help of any significance can come, Lord, lest You do it. So, Lord, I ask, I ask at this point, Father, that You would speak hope into my life. I pray that You would speak strength and fortitude and peace and healing into my life. Lord, as uh, the body of Rock Point prays over me, God, as people lay hands on me, as Your Spirit intercedes on my behalf, God, I ask that, Lord, You would do what I cannot do. I confess to You uh, that I am inadequate in my own strength, and I need Your help, God. I need Your Spirit to invade and to intercede on my behalf. So, God, I pray right now, uh, that your mercies would fall upon me. God, I pray that uh, you would sustain me by your righteous right hand. God, I ask for your direction, for your healing, and Lord, for your power uh, to be, uh, Lord, made evident in my life. And God, I ask that you, you carry me on the steps that I can't take on my own. So, Lord, I, I, I thank you that greater is he that sent us than he that's in the world. I thank you, God, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Lord, that you will meet my needs according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. That you possess the power to redeem my situation, my circumstance, Lord, my burden. And so, Lord, I ask that you do that in the name of Jesus. We ask this according to your riches and glory. In Jesus' name we pray and ask this. Amen. Thank you. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 18 and 19. Revelation 18 and 19. Uh, I just also want to give you a word. Um, you saw, uh, a matter of fact, we're packing the food that's going to Haiti, and you saw the video of where that's going. And uh, for our men, we're just making this available for our men right now because there is a risk uh, factor involved. If you are interested in going, if you will let us know in the next 10 days, uh, we would like to, to, we'd like for you to consider going with us. And uh, we will, matter of fact, the representative will be here next week, or you can see Charlie, our missions minister. Uh, but if you're interested in that, men, um, if you're interested in a mission trip of that nature, uh, we're going to be going in January. So we need to know pretty quick. And, and, I, and let me just put it to you this way. It, it is a hard trip. Okay. So if you think, if your first thought is, oh, that would be fun, uh, then you're, you, you don't want to go because you won't be happy. All right. Uh, but if you are thinking, you know what, I'm. I'm ready. I, I want God to open the eyes of my heart, and I, I want to make an impact, and I want to see what's going on, and I want God to just change me at my, my core as I see the need, Then, and, and I'm ready to be in the most difficult situation I possibly have ever been in my life. The most uncomfortable I've ever been. I can just about much promise you. However uncomfortable you've been, this is going to be a lot more uncomfortable. All right? Uh, and if that if saying that makes you not want to go, then don't go. All right. If you hear that and you go, I, I'm ready, uh, then I want to invite you to come talk to us. OK. All right. With that said, today, the sermon is uh, basically the two cities. Uh, matter of fact, most of you are familiar with the tale of two cities by Charles Dickens and familiar uh, the contrast or the cities of London, England and of Paris, France uh, in and around the, the French Revolution period. Uh, as we look at Revelation, we see two cities that keep popping up. First one is the New Jerusalem, 
or the word Jerusalem, which means city of peace. And I, I want to remind you that when we look at Scripture, we have, to, we have to ask some basic questions and remember some very basic th- thoughts in what we call hermeneutics and biblical interpretation. Number one is, what does it literally say? Okay, we read that. But then a second question is, what did they understand that to mean in their day? When John was writing this from the Isle of Patmos, uh, somewhere around anywhere from some say 60 A.D. all the way up to 110 uh, A.D., somewhere probably around the 90, 100 A.D., how would they have understood this language? How would they have understood this passage? And then how do we, how are we to understand it today? And when it comes to the book of Revelation, how will it be understood in the future? So I think those are questions we have to think about and consider when we approach a text, and particularly the book of Revelation. So one is us understanding some terminology, uh, the Jerusalem, the peace aspect, the, the new Jerusalem, which is a picture of the new kingdom of God of the new heavens and the new earth, and the economy of God in the way that everything will be as it should be, where there is no sin, there is no pain, there is no death, that God has perfected a new world, a new life, a new existence for us. The one of which we dream and long for here on this earth, but which will really never be fully recognized or experienced. Then there's number two, Babylon. Okay, Babylon. Now, that word Babylon is certainly there was a city called Babylon in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, that's the Greek word for it, Babylon. Actually, Babel is the Hebrew. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 11 and you see the story of Babel and uh, which uh, the, the, the men of the earth came together and they decided that they were going to build a tower to heaven because uh, they believed that they uh, could make a name for themselves and they were in that place, in that position, and of that ego that, hey, let us ascend to God. Let us ascend to the heavens and see if there is a God, so to speak, in their, in their minds. Uh, and we know the story of, of Babel, and that's the first indicator, the first time we see that word used. And then, of course, the, the Hebrew people in much of the known world, uh, during a lot of the, the Old Testament time in which it was written, experienced the wrath and the oppression of the kingdom or the empire of Babylon. And so it became synonymous with evil and oppression when you would see it uh, in the Old Testament that the Hebrews and the Jews would, would speak in that manner of Babylon. And then, of course, uh, as you go into the New Testament, most scholars would say that Babylon, uh, as you look here in this text, uh, often Rome, we see in extra biblical writings, uh, particularly extra biblical Hebrew writings, Rome, the system of Rome was referred to in Bab- as Babylon. And one of the reasons, because the Jews would have automatically understood that and they weren't speaking out literally uh, in their writings or in their verbiage against Rome, which would have met with certain condemnation, but they would use that term Babylon. So we see that and there's reason to believe that uh, that as they understand it, then they would be thinking of uh, literally of Rome itself. Uh, it, during John's time, okay, and and but then if we talk about in the future the system of Babylon that represents evil, that represents what Satan does to come kill, steal, and destroy, to marginalize, to exploit, uh, to uh, tear down, and uh, to make uh, just rubble of the world and and of its people, 
uh, we think of the system of Babylon, okay? It's referred to of the future that there is, there's God's economy, the kingdom of God, the, the Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem economy, and then there's the Babylonian con- concept or the Babylon uh, economy in which as we read through the book of Revelation, which I know is very difficult, and there's a lot of symbolism in, in this apocalyptic book, and as we look at it, though, if we understand that term to understand Babylon uh, being that that system that is the antithesis of the economy of God, of the kingdom of God, a totally different set of values, a totally different intention, which I would tell you, I believe that spirit is working today and is in existence today. Uh, what I don't think you want to say is so and so is the Antichrist. Uh, you don't know that. And I know there are people that write books and we buy them and so-and-so's the Antichrist. You don't know that, okay? And that, I would encourage you not to say that, okay? That's like, don't do that, all right? You just look ignorant when you say things because then when Ronald Reagan or whoever he is isn't the Antichrist, where does that leave you, okay? I remember Ronald Reagan, you know, because it was 666, his name. Um, uh, his, his, I don't even remember what his middle name was, but I remember that was popular. Now I got this article and, you know, and everybody's scared because now Reagan's the Antichrist. You know, Bill Gates and everybody else that we come up with, it's the Antichrist, okay? Let me say, God's, right now, we've got the revelation that there's a system, uh, that is occurring even in the world today that marginalizes and that exploits people and that is doing everything it can to pull us away from the values of the Bible and the values of God Himself. Uh, that is what I believe is the system of Babylon. I think that's what's being referred to, particularly as we go forward in the future and even today. The prostitute. What is the prostitute? There's another term we see. What in the world does that mean? Well, we know what it means uh, literally, but let's talk about what it means biblically. What I believe it to be, and, and let me just go ahead and clarify, I'm giving you my interpretation today, which is fallible. Uh, this is infallible. This is fallible. Aren't you glad you came today? But guess what? Everybody else you read, they're fallible too. Even if they know, they don't know. They're fallible. Uh, they just don't know they're making mistakes. All right? I freely admit I could be wrong. God bless you for coming to Rock Point today. <laughs> Great place, isn't it? All right. So the prostitute. The prostitute, I believe, to be uh, kind of a twofold. It's definitely what we sometimes term as the apostate church or those who proclaim to believe, but yet there is no form of godliness. Uh, they do not adhere to, to good doctrine or to biblical doctrine. Uh, we see that in some of the churches that we studied earlier. And I think also the spirit of humanism, which invades the church, invades the culture, which says the highest premium is my happiness. I was speaking with someone yesterday. Well, I dealt with two, two situations where men have left their families because they're not happy. So they leave their wife and children because they want to be happy. And, and if that humanism, that spirit of humanism in the sense, and when I use that term, I mean that the highest value is how I feel. The highest value is, is what is best for me. Uh, that is the system of bad Babylon. That is the ethics of Babylon. You know what? You just need to be happy because God doesn't want you to be unhappy. Matter of fact, God wants you to feel good and God wants you to be happy. So whatever that means, you need to do. And yet, these guys call themselves Christians. Can I tell you, that's the antithesis of the New Jerusalem. That's the antithesis of the kingdom of God. And that's the spirit of Babylon. And we become the prostitutes of Babylon when we start to take on that mentality. And we start to think it's all about us and how I feel. And what does it do for me? Because that's the highest value. 
If it feels good, do it. If it makes me happy, let's do it. And then the easy parts. You've got that world. You've got that city. You've got that kingdom. And then you have the other kingdom. And we see the term lamb. What does that mean? It's talking about Christ. Why does he use that terminology? Because in the Old Testament covenant, the lamb was the only thing that could erase your sin, could bring you to a place of where you were justified and made righteous before a holy God. And so the lamb that was in the Old Testament was, you know, a four-legged little woolly mammal. And now the lamb that we're speaking of is the lamb of God, as John talked about. If you go back and look at John, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the earth. The only way that we can have our sins forgiven, the only way that we can be delivered of our, quote, prostitution is to experience the shed blood of the lamb and to place our faith firmly in what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross through His death, burial, and resurrection. And then the bride. The bride, the, the true church, those who are truly believers in Christ, who not only say, I acknowledge it, but I allow Jesus to become Lord of my life. That's the bride of Christ. Those who truly believe and who truly have committed themselves to Christ. And as we read through the book of Revelation, it's important that we understand those terms. So let's look briefly at the book of Revelation, chapter 18, beginning with verse 1 in chapter 18. And after this, I saw another angel coming down from the heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his splendor. And with a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons. Now, we talked about what Babylon is, what it was, what it is, what it will be. And a haunt of every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean, detestable bird. And for all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her. And the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxury through exploitation, through a lack of justice, through not thinking about what is best for others and the best for kingdom, not thinking about what is righteous. And then I heard a voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, speaking about the bride, the church, the true believers, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven. Remember we talked about in Babel how they were piling up the bricks to make their way to heaven. I don't think that's coincidental that this metaphor is used here. For their sins are piled up to heaven and God has remembered her crimes. So we see the spirit of Babylon. We see the city of Babylon. And then we see the city of Jerusalem. Let's jump to chapter 19, verse 1. And this I heard... By the way, this is the team you want to be on. This is the city you want to live in. And this I heard was sounded like a roar of the great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to God. For the true and just are His judgments. He has contemned the great prostitute and corrupted the earth by her adulteries. And He has avenged on her blood His servants. You know, we, we talked several weeks ago about there are more people being persecuted for their faith in Christ uh, today. There are more people dying for faith than any other time in history. Probably, uh, mostly because of the sheer volume of six billion people living on this planet. And, and the rise of radical Islam and other religions that have condemned Christianity. But as we look at this, we're not talking necessarily about 
a long time ago. We hear it even happening today, those who are being martyred. As he continues here, he says, and again he shouted, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures, which I believe to be symbolic, uh, most uh, conservative scholars would say that number 24 is the completeness of 12 and 12, uh, the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes. Uh, and then it talks about here the four uh, living creatures um, are uh, probably the uh, what we would extend, we would think of as the whole heavenly body of angels. Uh, they're believed to be at least four different types of angelic beings. And he's talking about all those who worship God, all those who recognize uh, Yahweh as God, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, worship God and were seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. And then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants, you who fear Him, both great and small. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing water, and like loud pearls of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen and bright clean was given to her to wear. And then we see a little parenthetical statement, a little word of commentary to help us understand what he's talking about right here. He says, the fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Remember that. The righteous acts of the saints. And then the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. We see the Babylonian system. We see the New Jerusalem system. We see the kingdom of God system. We see for which we must all make a decision every day. Which economy, which system am I building my life into? The me, the world, the morals and the values and the fabrics of Hollywood... And I love movies just like you do. But we have to admit, you know what I mean? That there's a totally different system being communicated and being valued. Or are we going to say, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Are we going to recognize that God desires for us not only just to recognize that He is God, but to begin to live in righteousness and holiness and injustice and mercy today. That word justice has been beaten up on and abused in our, days, in, our, in our economy today and in our world today. But it is a very huge term used in Scripture. First of all, when the word righteousness is used in the New Testament, it is synonymous with the word justice. That is a part of righteousness. To do what is right. To make things right. James 1.27 says, Religion that our fathers accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Proverbs 31.8 says, Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. Micah 6.8 says, he, who, he has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. So that means, yes, with our belief system, 
but it means with our voice and our resources that we act righteously, that we act justly, that we recognize as followers of Christ. Uh, it's not just about correct doctrine. It's not just about coming into these four walls and singing songs and listening to a sermon, but that we live out the Spirit of Christ in our everyday life. When we think about Matthew 25, when Jesus said, if you've done it unto the least of these, then you've done it unto me. For I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was naked and you clothed me. So why are we involved with the missions that we're involved with? Why are we going to pack 175,000 meals next week? Why are we sponsoring 437 children as of today? Why are we working and uh, adopting villages in Africa uh, and in the Dominican Republic? Why are we doing this partnership with Belize? I'll tell you why. Because that's what Jesus has asked us to do. That's what Jesus would do if He was here. And we're His hands and we're His feet. And if we say that we really believe, if we say that we are really going to be walk justly and humbly before the Lord our God, if we say we're, we're followers of Christ, then how can we not do that? Yes, we are to proclaim the salvation message. But it doesn't stop there. That's just the first part. It's not just throwing Bibles at people and say. Be well fed, as James said, and, and hear the good news. See you later. That's why we are partnering with CCA right here, Christian Community Action and Salvation Army. Because God expects us and Jesus has commanded us to be His light, to be His hands, to be His feet. That's why God has given us the resources, not just so we can consume them on ourselves. That's why He's given us the influence and the power and the opportunity, not just for ourselves. That's the Babylonian concept. That's the spirit of Babylon. But the Spirit of Christ says, if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Where can I make a difference? Sometimes that's in your neighborhood, next door. Sometimes that's in your school district or your county. Sometimes that's across the sea. As God gives you opportunity, as God lets you see and opens your ears and opens your heart, how will you respond? Generosity, with service, with mission, great commandment. Love the Lord that God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. How are you loving your neighbor? And with prayer. Which city, which kingdom are you building into today? I want us to stop and pray before we have communion. And I want us to just pray for our families, for our church, for our community, and for God's kingdom. I want us to stop and do that for a moment. So if you would just be still before the Lord. And let's just be still and kneel before Him and pray. Uh, again, I want to just take a moment of silence for you just to pray for your, first of all, to pray for your family and to ask yourself that question. God, which system am I building into? Which city am I creating through my deeds, through my service, through my faith? Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would be, Lord, with the families of Rock Point, for each family that is represented here.
God, I pray that we would teach our children to love You, to love others, to recognize how incredibly blessed we have been. Lord, I pray that we would teach our children through our actions and through our lives to minister and to love those, Father, who are in need. God, for those whom You said are representative of You. God, I pray that our children and our neighbors and our family would see and know that we are a place of refuge, that we stand for peace and justice. Lord, that we politically with our voice espouse our values and that, Lord, we stand for what is right. And at the same time, God, we are willing to help and to love those who are in need that you put into our lives and into our paths. God, I pray for our city that you would, Lord, use our church to impact this city and this community for the cause of Christ. And that others would be drawn to your light and experience your goodness and your salvation. Lord, I pray for our nation that, God, we would make you the God of our nation. That we would support righteousness. That we would support, God, what is true and what is just. And God, I pray for our world, Lord, that You would use us as lights in a dark place to feed, to love, to clothe, to bring clean water, to bring help and assistance to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to those in need. And Lord, let it be said that we stand for the righteousness of the kingdom of God. That it's not just words we speak and songs we sing, but a life that we live. And may You be glorified.